Rank and Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Fall has fell, and you know that only means one thing, Ryan. What is that? It's time to listen to October Rust on repeat in my car with the windows <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, it's October Rust and the All Hollows EP from AFI. Like these are it's it's the reason for the season. Nothing honestly. makes a PSL go down better than Peter Steele of Typo Negative saying, I'll do anything to make you come. <laughs> it's a lot, that album. Although honestly, there's I think the funniest line from October Rust by Typo Negative is on uh uh the Christmas song. I think it's it's like a red water. Yes. Uh, parentheses Christmas morning with a U. There's a line in there where he just says, "God damn ye, merry gentlemen." And <laughs> you can you can tell that it's like, oh man, Pete Steele wrote that lyric and was like, yeah, that was fucking that was great when I wrote that. I'm just gonna put that in a song. Like, also, the 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 chutzpah of starting that album with a bad ground sound effect and just like static, and then. Them feeling the need to record a like posse track of <laughs> be like, hey, we got you with our joke. We hope you enjoyed our little joke. That no, yeah, there's there's that, and then uh, on the next album, uh, World Coming Down, they start with a track called Skip It, which just is the sound of the album skipping for like ten seconds, and then I think it's the keyboard player yelling "sucker," and then they go into the next song. Um, so those 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 boys from Brooklyn were. Absolutely having a, a time in the 90s. Uh, so what what ghoul shit have you been uh, consuming this week? Aside from classic uh, industrial goth makeout album October Rust by Typo Negative. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. I've been doing the most insular ghoul shit of all, which is watching old recorded from tape TVs from my... Uh, from my own personal collection and oh, trying to excavate the past. Um, have you have you seen 90s and early 2000s liquor commercials recently, Ryan? Well, not 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 recently. Why? Are they, <laughs> is this like a, is this like a specific milieu? So, is the specific um so I came for I come from a family that watched a lot of Bravo and recorded a lot of Bravo. <laughs> you were a Bravo. You were a Bravo household. <laughs> we were a Bravo household. <laughs> so the amount of DiSerono and Subernay Cavignon commercials Holy are uh, more than zero, and all of them are like wild ass parties where everyone's just guzzling down red wine. <laughs> This is, see, I feel like the guzzling of the wine, we really, all right, is this like the, the artisanal economy that sort of took over and we were all like, no, we've got to like enjoy the wine and think about the wine and know what the wine is called, where with the early 2000s, they were just like, hey guys, I brought so much wine. We should drink this wine because there's a lot of it. Yeah, it's like the the vintage of last year. You know, what's interesting, though, is uh, of all the things that millennials supposedly killed, Mm -hmm. the wine industry, like, apparently all the vintage got drunk up. Really? This, I'm so proud of us. We're so prolific. Like, did we, we just drank all of the good, was it all of the good wine or was it all of the wine? I think it was all of the wine. (laughs) Because I am right now sitting here drinking uh, rosé as we record this podcast. (laughs) So I've got fucking blood on my hands, first of all. Also fascinating is, um, at least in rural Tennessee, where I am, Mm -hmm. uh, only until like, I don't know, a year, two years ago, could you buy liquor anywhere but a liquor store? So now there's this weird, like, liquor stores are like the blockbuster videos. They're kind of on their (laughs) way out, and and they're kind of outmoded. Man, this is, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, as, as you know, I lived in Tennessee for, uh, what, a decade? I've been in L.A. a little bit longer, and it will never not weird me out that I can go to a grocery store or a Rite Aid and come home with a bottle of whiskey if I want to. Like, just hard liquor being available outside of a liquor store. Like, it, it, what, in Tennessee, you've got to have, like, you know, you, you go to the package store, and you've got to wrap the booze up in a paper bag, and nobody, you know, you've got to hide it from God, you've got to hide it from your mom until you get home. Exactly. It's yeah, it's important. Um, so let's let's jump into the the first movie we're Boogie Boogie Boo <laughs> Boogie 
Quincy. Holy, holy shit. So Quincy, you suggested this movie and you did not let me down because you were like, listen, uh, the, the movie Mr. Boogity uh, from the Walt Disney Company from uh, the year, I believe, we were born, 1986. Yes, the year we were born, uh, which is great to know that Disney has always <laughs> the creators of spooky buddies has always been buck wild uh the creator of spooky buddies who was also comfortable with like satanic sacrifices um this holy shit so this movie is buck wild it features the dude uh who plays the father um who played clark in the thing and I, a bunch of other stuff that that guy's been in. Uh, and also, it's we've got um, the guy who played Gomez Adams uh, from the TV show, John Astin, as, like, a weird guy. His thing is that he's a weird guy. Uh, yes, he's also in charge of the Historical Society for, shit you not, the name of the town, Lucifer Falls. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yelled, what, when that happened? Because, like, wait a minute. We named a New England town Lucifer Falls, and we're like, yeah, nothing bad's gonna happen. This'll be fine. Just name it Lucifer Falls, like Beelzebub Heights or like Abaddon Creek was just... I mean, Lucifer Falls is incredible because also the phrase Lucifer Falls almost sounds like Christian propaganda, like Lucifer loses it. Yeah, it sounds like it should be a Carmen song. (laughs) Yeah, Lucifer fumbles it. Um... So this movie starts out with a, um, what's basically a Frito-Lay truck, but with (laughs) clowns painted on the side, pulling into this town of Lucifer Falls. Okay, let's talk about this shit. So the father of this family is a uh, salesman or sales representative um, of Gag City, which is like a, a, a goofster's warehouse. It's like Amazing Larry's store in um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's literally that. And he actually says, like, we're going to be the only Gag City franchise in a hundred miles. We will rule Lucifer Falls as the king of goofs. <laughs> like, we will be the <laughs> and only game in town, baby. what's great is his family is totally hooked into the goofs. Um, his two sons are goofster prodigies and his wife and daughter are just like inoculated by goofs. They can't escape the goofs. What it is, he is somehow, he's like a kid from a Friday the 13th movie whose last words are like, what's the matter? Can't take a joke? Who like plays pranks on people and gets got because he's doing goofs. Only he somehow survived and spawned a bunch of little goofsters, and it's just a whole fucking flock of goofs. Just goofing it up. So anyway, they have a daughter whose name is, I don't know, Emily, some some (laughs) 80s child name. Tiffany, Heather, it was one of those. Susan, whatever. Yeah. And she, now, these kids, a couple of them, I feel like they lean a little too far on the side of moppetry and, like, putting it on. Oh, definitely. Now, we also have to remember, this was a pilot that never got picked up to season. Are you, wow. So they were, they were maybe trying to go like, hey, I don't know, if Mr. Boogity goes well and it catches the big cog, we could have, you know, four seasons in a movie of Mr. Boogity. Exactly, and they're like, you know, of all of the, the uh, clearly Mr. Boogity is like the Gargamel to this, this family Smurfs, <laughs> and will just be constantly <laughs> fucking around with them. And they are Smurfs. They are yeah. definite. They are definite Smurfs, uh, and they live in a town called Lucifer Falls. Now, um, the guy who is played by uh, John Aston uh, Gomez Adams himself, uh, his name is. Uh, Neil Witherspoon and he is like when they pull up to this house which first of all they pull up to the house and the father is like come on we got a great deal on this place there is honest to god fucking thunder and lightning in front of this big Dracula fuck mansion there's also a sign that says not haunted (laughs) (laughs) which you want which gets struck by lightning and falls off the sign and then on the ground catches on fire so that the only word that is is visible is haunted. Mr. Boogity is nothing if not subtle and discreet. Um, (laughs) And, you know, and so they get into the house and, you know, 
Neil Witherspoon uh, warns them about uh, Mr. Boogity, and he yells, Boogity, Boogity, Boo! And then just, like, walks away. <laughs> like, sort of like, all right, my work is done here. As one does. Yeah, it's just... Th- this movie, I feel like it it wants to somehow be funny and also serious, and it kind of can't do both. Right, right. So the family goes to bed in their haunted home, and they have a rough night's sleep. And <laughs> On account morning, of this is the most haunted house that has ever existed. Yeah, and, and the daughter comes face-to-face with a horrifying ghoul and uh, wakes up, and her family's like, you're just imagining this. And they're like, no, look, there's actual ectoplasm on the wall. Yeah, and then the dad gets, like, footprints across his body, and he's like, oh, boy, what a fun goof, because he thinks that, I think that if you're this guy, you've got your goof glasses on, and every, you see the world as a goof, and you, you don't, you can't take anything seriously. Like, there could be an unhinged maniac in this house, with an axe, and he would just be like, you're really committing to the goof, and I respect that. (laughs) So Um, the kids are, uh, (laughs) of course, the only actual, uh, actually competent people in this movie, (laughs) because it is a Disney product. (laughs) Yeah. So they go visit John Aston at work, and he's like, oh yeah, it's because of Mr. Boogity that your house is haunted. And it's not actually the house it's that place in time and space. Yes, and also, you know, we get into the uh, the the pathos and the backstory of Mister Boogity, which is uh, because you know Mister Witherspoon is the head of the Lucifer Falls Historical Society. He tells the story of a local man that was called Mister Boogity by the other pilgrims. And they called him this, I assume, because he is a Pokemon who can only say his own name. <laughs> and all he does all day and all night is yell, Boogity, Boogity, Boogity. Um, and Mr. Boogity uh, has fallen in love with uh, a widow named Marion. And Marion is like, fuck you, Mr. Boogity. I'm not trying to become Mrs. Boogity. I don't, I'm not Bride of Boogity. Fuck you. And which, interestingly enough, they did make Bride of Boogity later. You're shitting. Did that get made into a show? Yeah, it's on Disney Plus as well. Fuck me. All right. Well, I, that's that's my night sorted then. <laughs> so so Marion has a little boy left over from her previous marriage named Jonathan. Yeah, and Jonathan uh, is I I mean you know if you've you're a, a single mother in um, Puritan New England. Uh, and Mr. Boogity decides that he wants to marry you, and you're like, you're not a good role model for my kid. All you do is yell boogity at people. I need more from I need more from a partner. I need more from a, a father and a husband. Let's talk about how we're these are fucking pilgrims, the yeah. most hard nosed, uptight people possible. Mm-hmm. So uptight that they left Europe, where they were <laughs> being left alone and having a pretty good life. Because Europe wasn't uptight enough. Yeah, people so uptight, the British kicked them out. Like, they... And and, and what's incredible about that is that, like, okay, so you're a a community of pilgrims. How does does Mr. Boogity happen? Like, is this... He gets born, uh, you know, in a bunch of, like, buckles-on-shoes ass, uh, rough-around-the-neck, you know, pilgrims. And he's... All he wants to do is yell boogity. And after realizing that... Marion uh, does not actually want to marry him. He makes a deal with Satan? With yeah, Christian actual Satan. Christian Satan. Uh, and he's like, listen, uh, Lucifer, if that is... Uh, sorry, last name Falls, first name. And he's like, listen, uh, I will sell you my immortal soul if you give me a sweet-ass magical cloak that lets me shoot force lightning like I'm Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Basically, he gets this cloak, he kidnaps Jonathan, and then magic goes awry, and his house literally (laughs) evaporates into thin air. It's incredible, because while uh, Neil Witherspoon is telling the kids this story, the kids start clowning the shit out of Mr. Boogity. Like, wait, he blew up his own fucking house? (laughs) 
Like with everyone inside it, like he 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 dropped the ball that comprehensively. You know, like I, not only his own house, any future house that's built on this property is haunted by default. <laughs> yeah, just everything is haunted uh, because of Mister Boogity. Now, uh, Mister Mister Boogity, who has now become a ghost, uh, and also uh, Marion's kid, uh, who had a cold when he died. And now in death has a sneeze that like one of the little girls in present day was like keeps hearing a ghostly sneeze in the house. And it's the little kid who died with a cold. Are we to believe that whatever your condition was at the time of death, so you shall remain for eternity? This is a pretty grim prospect for Disney to be handling. (laughs) Yeah, this is I feel like this is the Wild West for Disney before they really started like banging out the classics like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and shit. Um, And so, you know, they're 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 trying to get rid of Mr. Boogity in the present. Present, excuse me. Um, How do they how do they go about trying to do this? So they finally come across Mr. Boogity and come face to face and the makeup for this monster ghost for a children's what was supposed to be television show is terrifying he looks like fucking leatherface like this guy's face looks like a cat chewed on it he it's it's a lot um and he floats it's around green and, and there's all these boils and pustules and yeah they they put in a lot of work on on making Mr. Boogity look disgusting, and I really appreciate it. So Mr. Boogity just like electrocutes the shit out of this family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their their hair is standing straight up, uh, and, and one of my favorite moments is where uh, the dad who uh, played Clark in the thing is like, "All right, well," and he's like no selling all of this. Like you can tell that this actor who is like sort of half asleep for this movie. Uh, and, which, by the way, he also plays uh, Stan Uris in uh, the 1990 The Thing miniseries for, for a bit before he uh, dies at the beginning of it. And he no-sells Mr. Boogity by being... And, and the ADR in this movie, by the way, is incredible because Mr. Boogity is, is electrocuting the shit out of them. And he's just like, all right, buddy, well, you want us to leave, but we're not gonna, so you're just gonna have to deal with it. He's like, boogity, 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 and shoots him with lightning. <laughs> Also, the mother in this family uh, wakes up in the middle of the night and makes a fucking Dagwood, which who the fuck actually (laughs) makes a Dagwood? You know what? I'm actually going to take this opportunity to say, do you know what I hate? When you get a burger at a place and you can't comfortably fit it in your mouth and you have to squish it like an accordion to take a bite out of it. Fuck out of here with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's repulsive. It's disgusting. Give me give me a burger I can comfortably put in my mouth. Like, I'm not impressed that you've put all this shit on the burger. Grow up. Um, so anyway, mid-Dagwood, the ghost of Jonathan's mother, Marion, shows up. Is like, let me tell you my tragic backstory. And she's like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I, yeah, it's incredible. And, like, the wife is just like, oh, that sucks, man. And she's like, yeah, I'm a ghost pilgrim. I'm like, all right, well... You know, thanks for stopping by. Listen, is there anything I can get you before you... No, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, So eventually, they use a vacuum cleaner, a household vacuum cleaner. A gimmicked shop vac. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because when you hit reverse, it shoots ping pong balls. And when you (laughs) go to empty the uh, dust, a jack-in-the-box clown pops out. Yeah, they it's it's incredible. They they used a sawed off shop vac basically to uh, suck the magic cloak off of the body of Mister Boogity, uh, which instantly robs him of his powers. And with a final cry of Boogity Boogity Boo, he disappears. Um, and then the family is like, "All right, well, it looks like that. It looks like that's all behind us for what may be a season of a television show." <laughs> uh, and, and then, then we get a sting that's like, oh, Mr. Boogity now has possessed the vacuum cleaner. Which, was this just going to be Mr. Boogity as a vacuum cleaner for the rest of this season? Or jumping from item to item is is my oh. hope. My headcanon is that he can jump from thing to thing, and he's plotting to get his cloak back. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's like he's just gonna be he's gonna possess the elliptical trying to scoot closer to the robe and they gotta just like keep it out of like hand the entire time oh definitely oh would would watch every season of mr boogity the vacuum cleaner trying to exact his vengeance um but yeah we get a little you know like stinger or not even a stinger where you know they're like well looks like the ghost is gone and then the vacuum goes wanna bet and it's like all right great um this is completely unhinged. <laughs> it's very good. Man, it's just so all right, so looking at our list, where where do you think we should start? Um, I am thinking of similarly unhinged Halloween special Beans Baxter. <laughs> yes, so it is uh, at number 464 we have uh, The New Adventures of Beans Baxter, uh, season 1 episode 13. A Nightmare on Beans Street, which, by the way, that's not even a pun, Beans Baxter. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what are we doing? You couldn't you could come up with like a different a different thing there. Um, I am tempted to give the edge to uh, Mr. Boogity. Yeah, I would agree. I think Mr. Boogity has a lasting impression and actually does have a cult following. Does it? Yeah, there's there's enough people talking about and trading like vhs rips of mr boogity online oh my god i'm which by the way i'm going as sexy mr boogity this year for halloween so you know watch out watch out watch out for that um i feel like i would give the edge to it because i couldn't beans that episode of beans baxter is like fine but it doesn't feature anybody yelling boogity boogity boo in a way that i'm going to be thinking about that line reading for the rest of my goddamn life uh, in a way that really makes me want to give the edge to that. However, right above uh, Nightmare on Beans Street from Beans Baxter at number 463, we have uh, the uh, Christian Satanic Panic documentary Pagan Invasion colon Halloween Trick or Treat. There's Quincy. no way that Mr. Boogity is better <laughs> than that piece of insanity <laughs> thank you i was gonna say i will be cold in my goddamn grave if i will put mr boogity above the satanic panic documentary which features like some dude with a mustache and a mullet going yeah yeah i was a satanic sex god in the cult and we did witchcraft and i had a lot of sex with pretty ladies with like his giant <laughs> like, his giant glasses uh, it gives me so much joy, and Mr. Boogity for me is like, oh yeah, uh, uh, you know, he yells Boogity. Um, so I feel pretty good about that. So coming in at our new number 464, uh, above uh, The New Adventures of Beans Baxter Season 1, Episode 13, and below Pagan Invasion Halloween Trick or Treat is Mr. Boogity. And this is on Disney+, Plus, so... Um... You know, if you have that streaming service of the multitude of streaming services, <laughs> it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, get after it. Also, apparently, Bride of Boogity is a thing that is... Is that also on Disney Plus? Yes, it's also on Disney Plus. <sighs> Incredible. You know what? You know what? Like, fuck the mouse. I hate, you know, so much that Disney has such a huge, like, grip on everything, but at least... Some visionary in the mailroom or whatever at Disney was like quietly sneaking Mr. Boogity onto Disney Plus, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> what I like is they're like, okay, the Star Wars Christmas special is too bad to put it on in its entirety, so we're gonna clip out the Boba Fett <laughs> cartoon, but we're gonna put all of Mr. Boogity, the whole franchise, on here. <laughs> It's a life day miracle. Which, by the way, put, <laughs> put put the Ewok Christmas special on Disney Plus, you goddamn cowards. Um, so let's uh, see, this... what is his name? Stinky Chewbacca's <laughs> stinky, terrible son, and uh, Carrie Fisher, who is stoned out of her gourd for the entirety of this thing. Just like, yeah, sure, the Ewok Christmas. Fuck you. Um, so let's get into the second movie we're talking about this week, which is a movie that I had not seen in a while and went back and rewatched uh, recently. And this is uh, my first time watching at all. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, the one we're doing is uh, the Amityville Horror, the original, except no substitutes, OG Amityville Horror uh, from 1979, starring J uh, James Brolin and Margot Kidder. This movie... Well, what do you... All right, what, what, initial impressions... Um, my biggest complaint about the Amityville, um, horror is that the way that the ghost gets you is the ghost just makes you an asshole. 
<laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. And like, it just, I don't yeah. really like watching an hour of James Brolin being a bad dad. Yeah, James Brolin, I think, does a good job in the role. Uh, th- what it is is that the Amityville Horror is uh, allegedly based upon a, a real-life uh, haunted house that was, wouldn't you know it, visited and vetted by the Warrens, who, as we know, are g- grifters. So, uh, here's a... I've been doing a lot of reading on the Warrens. Oh, nice. And the thing that that really um, leaves me tossing and turning at night mm-hmm. is that they didn't really turn much of this into, like, money-making stuff. So, like, oh. it... Uh, well, well, hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. Let me... I, I gotta process this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, they did a, get a book deal mm-hmm. about all of their adventures. and But originally, they started out by just, like, going to people's houses and saying, I heard this is a haunted house. Can we do a reading? Would you like to buy a painting of the house? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the Warrens, I, I feel I feel a number of ways about it, because on one hand, I'm like, these, this is obvious, like, Edwardian mummery, like, this is some obvious fucking, you know, there's, there's shenanigans happening, but that's a really good point that, like, they never exactly, like, you know, acquired a Scrooge McDuck-style pit of gold from pretending to talk to ghosts. Right, they just were on a lot of TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, at least, you know, they did parlay it into fame because we're still talking about the Warrens. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, my, my, my instinct is to say that they were goddamn liars. But then I'm also like, look, I know people that are into all manner of, like, metaphysical shit. I can't prove it didn't happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the Warrens, but... Quietly, I'm like, you're liars. Um, <laughs> but the theme music from the Amityville Horror is fucking great. Um, the soundtrack of this movie fucks, and I, I appreciate it. Apparently, there were rumors at the time that this was the original score for The Exorcist and was rejected, but actually that's horseshit. Another thing that's horseshit is that apparently the filmmakers of the Amityville Horror... Um, asked the cast and crew to spread viral rumors of strange goings-on on set. Fascinating that viral marketing is that old. Oh, yeah. Like, James Brolin and Margot Kidder both mentioned later on that they were like, yeah, you know, we would do, like, a press junket, and they were like, so did anything weird happen? And, you know, they'd be like, uh, well, yeah, my sandwich at uh, Craft Services yesterday... Uh, fell right off my lap. I think a, a ghost knocked it off of my paper plate. Anyway, and you know, just sort of, they were trying to make it happen. Um, I will say the vibe in this movie is pretty unfuckwithable. Yeah, and it's also pretty wild that it starts with the original murder in the house. Yeah, there's a, a family um, of, like, what, four four kids and a, a mother and father, and the father goes room to room and murders the shit out of everybody. Uh, and that's that's where we start the thing, is that, uh, you know, all of the stuff happened in 1974, and then five years later, uh, James Brolin and Margot Kidder, uh, Margot Kidder has, I think, three kids? Um, yes. I will say, there is a huge... I think the thing that works for me with, like, I don't want to watch James Brolin be an asshole to Margot Kidder for, and, for two hours... Um, but the chemistry between James Brolin and Margot Kidder, I think, saves the movie for me. I think you're right, because they have this, they portray this loving relationship, and you truly, like, watch it and go, well, okay, there's a plausible deniability in this entire movie that says (laughs) they just are crazy. Right, right. And also, I think the other the other thing about it is that um, there's a thing that I think the movie never quite nails down, but it's always in the mix, is that the real horror here is the housing market. Um, right, right. That's the true terror, is that there isn't a <laughs> disclosure before they bought this house. And the ending of the movie, well, apparently this is true, the family just abandoned the home and never reclaimed it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 end of the movie uh, tells us uh, George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaimed their house or their personal belongings. Today they live in another state. I love that it's like. I'm not grabbing the shop vac. It's possessed by Mr. Boogity. <laughs> We're leaving it where it lies, wherever it lands. There shall it be buried. buried. We're moving to Connecticut. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, there is a financial aspect that I think hangs over the whole thing. Um, where, you know, so much of the dialogue is about, like, ah, the mortgage and, you know, the, the like, you know, the George's real estate partner, you know, so much stuff keeps going back to writing checks and bills and not having enough money um but i feel like one of the things that happens is the ghost steals cash yeah we've got it we've got a trickster ghost that's just like oh boy it sure could go for fifteen thousand (laughs) dollars and just ganks it um now and, and and for me there's like we get this you know the moments with james brolin and margot ketter uh, as a couple, it, it makes me think of the family from Poltergeist. Yeah, absolutely. Where, you know, you see these people and you're like, I really want them to be okay. And they are definitely not going to be okay. Um, there's there's a, a moment at the beginning of the thing where the, the realtor is walking them through the house. And you can tell that she is on a razor's edge talking to this couple trying to sell this house. Where she's like, yeah, you know, we've got this uh, guest house. Could be a guest house. No one died there. That's got got that going for it. Uh, This is the master bedroom. Please ignore the bloodstains and the viscera dangling from the ceiling. Um, And, you know, you get James Berlin and Margot Ketter kind of sitting down and talking about what happened in the house. And what's incredible is that Margot Ketter says, like, Guy kills his whole family, that doesn't bother you. And James Rowland says, oh, sure, but houses don't have memories. And it's like, hey, babe, I found a thesis. You want to look at this thesis? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, houses don't have memories. And I love the idea that it's just like, the house is holding on to what happened to it five years ago. Yeah, because definitely houses in this movie have memories. Because uh, they they commence to being haunted the perhaps my favorite depiction of things aren't right about this house are the flies oh these flies let's so uh we get a priest uh who you know sort of is trying to help this couple um and he comes around just trying to see what's going on his name is father frank delaney uh and he now the thing about this house also is that it has eyes it's got these two window the the iconic two windows facing out front that by the way make it look kind of adorable like it looks like a cute jack-o-lantern oh yeah it it's definitely it's iconic but also uh harmless <laughs> yeah, yeah you see it it's like oh hi buddy um and the priest comes by the house to see what's going on uh and just right away like god damn that's a lot of flies uh and they start like you know sort of swarming not quite sort just like landing on him and landing in the window. And then a voice in the house, honest to God, growls, get out at the priest, who pretty much instantly obliges the voice. I like that all of the clergy in this movie become violently ill when they're in the vicinity of the house. Oh, absolutely. Later on, we get a nun who, uh, you know, like loves the kids and is hanging out with them. And then instantly upon going into the house is just like, Oh, I don't like that. And just starts vomiting. Are we to believe this that, This same like, nun is also shown breaking the ankles of all the other children on the <laughs> basketball court later in the movie. She's ruthless. She which, is, which is key, because you have to know that she's Hale and Hardy, and it's the house that made her sick, <laughs> and not the fact that she's a, a feeble old nun. Ball is life, you little fuckers. Like, she is just... Yeah, she's just dunking on these kids. It's it's incredible. Um, which, by the way, I would go see Basketball Nun, if that were a movie. Um, now, also, the clergy... Are we to believe that if, like, you know, if you're a member of the clergy, or, as we find out, spiritually attuned, this house instantly makes people feel bad? Because um, James Brolin's partner's wife... Um, his partner shows up to the house because James Brolin, who gets hainted, like, pretty much instantly by the house. He he gets got very quickly. And the use of red eyeliner in this movie is, uh, harrowing. Oh, yeah. He always looks like he is consumptive. Like, he pretty much instantly just 
is unable to sleep. This thing keeps happening that I love where every morning promptly at 3.15 in the morning, he wakes up. And so we've got sleep deprivation in the mix. Like, he can't get a good night's sleep. Um, and I love that it's just every morning, you know, he wakes up, looks over, alarm clock, clicks over into 3.15. Um, and I love that also because that's happened to me a few times where, like, I'll wake up at the same exact time early in the morning for a few days in a row. Really? It's... Yeah, it's, it's, I was watching that kind of going like, oh, it's not just me. Um, but James Brown gets hainted pretty much instantly. His partner comes by to check on him. His wife uh, looks at the house and goes, nope, and gets back in the fucking car because she can tell that this house has some pretty bad vibes. To the point that they she finally does agree to go inside and she's like, check out the basement. And she picks up a pickaxe and just wails at a wall and is like, this is a gateway to hell right here. Now, which is also incredible because now this movie, I feel like it can't quite decide on what the source of the hainting is. Because on one hand, it's like houses have memories, they hold on to trauma, which, you know what, I, I hold with. Like, sometimes you walk into a house where bad things happened and you just get a bad feeling. Um... So I totally hold with that, but then it's also like, maybe Satan is in the mix, but then also we find out that there is a Native American burial ground thing happening, where this house was built on a Native American burial ground, so we've got that going on. It just, it's it's trying to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to explain the hainting, and it just, it never quite lines up. Yeah, I, I do find that annoying, and... As a result, the iconography of the haint of the, you know, the haunt, whether it's the blood dripping from the walls or like the slime pit that, um, he George falls into or anything like that, it's never quite consistent enough. It's like pick yeah. one thing, let it be flies, and let that be the entire movie. Absolutely. Like, and, you know, after it, you know, in 1979, this is post The Omen, this is post Exorcist, like, it's trying to do its own thing, which, by the way, this was apparently the most successful independent movie of all time until, do you want to guess which movie knocked it out of the top spot for that distinction? I think it's Saw, isn't it? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990 <laughs> <laughs> knocked it out of the top spot for most successful indie movie. Um... Which is also weird because, like, that's what it says on the internet, but I'm like, that was New Line Cinema, my guys. Like, New Line is not... What are we doing? Um, but, so, with George losing his mind, this movie does a thing that is, I think, one of my favorite horror tropes, which is, hey, I'm a married man losing my mind in a horror setting. Time to chop some wood. <laughs> I'm gonna go check out that axe collection now. <laughs> <laughs> like, it happens in The Vavitch. It happens in so many things where, like... Which, I honestly love very much that it's like, you know, and James James Brolin, who is just a fine-looking tall drink of water in this movie with his big 70s hair and his big beard and his broad shoulders. And the problem is that he's like, got, he looks like a hunky Nashville singer, but he's living in the haunted house and he can't really do anything about it. And I love the thing of like, frustrated masculinity having nowhere else to go. So all you can do is go, ah, I guess I'll chop some wood. And Margot Kidder's character is like, please, stop with the fucking wood. <laughs> yeah, well, when you need 5,000 pounds of wood, then we'll see what you need. Like, he's... <laughs> They'll <and> all see. <laughs> fools. Yeah, he... I mean, James Brolin, he is selling this role pretty well. And I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking for me when their relationship start breaking, starts breaking down. Because, like, they are... The way they play play this at the start is just that this couple is crazy about each other. Um, and so he starts melting down. The priest who got uh, goofed up by the flies in the house, he goes to the other priest and he's like, look, I know you guys don't actually believe in like demonic possession and all of that shit. I'm, I'm not a child. I know what I saw and what I felt. Like, we need to do something to help them. The guy who plays the head priest at this uh, archdiocese is the guy who plays the mayor from Jaws. <laughs> which, which is perfect, I love. because he's like, nah. Yeah, yeah. His his career archetype is like, guy who needs to take this more seriously. <laughs> um, and they're like, look, buddy, uh, you're seeing devils where, you know, it, it, might, it might be some 
uh, an undigested a piece of cheese or a blot of mustard. There's more, you know. And they're kind of like, look, you need to go on priest vacation because you're cracking up and we can't keep covering for your shit. And then he goes blind. The normal kind of satanic blindness. <laughs> yeah, like he's in church praying to God and then he just, he goes blind. Um, I This movie wants to, I feel like this priest needs more to do and they never really bring it on home with him. Like, I feel you know, like it's almost, the priest is almost shoehorned in because this is post-exorcist. I think that's what it is, is like, exor- this movie couldn't have existed without The Exorcist in a lot of ways, um, but I do appreciate that this, I feel like this movie is messier in a way that The Exorcist sort of feels like, and you know, this might be this might be retrospect, but that feels like a prestige horror movie. Oh, it does. It feels like it's very calculated, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that the Amityville horror is is uh, just throwing stuff on that wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, and and the score goes a long way for for doing that. I think um, the bit where uh, James Brolin hauls off and slaps Margot Margot Kidder across the face is hard to watch. Uh, she starts bleeding from the nose instantly, and you can tell that he's immediately like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm going crazy. Um, I will say, like, this is a movie that, if you've got weird stuff around, like, claustrophobic family environments, it's, you're gonna want to watch this with people. Like, it's, it can be a lot if you, like, without going into it too much, like, there were parts of this movie that I found it really hard to watch because of my own personal brain stuff. Yeah, Um, I also found, um, that... Uh, George yells at the children a lot, and also there are uh, flat, there are dream sequences where he murders them with an axe, and you see him chopping children up with an axe. And I was not prepared to watch children being murdered, mm-hmm. which it's weird because we've definitely watched a lot of movies on this podcast where mm-hmm. kids are killed. Oh, for uh, sure. But that is one of those hard lines where I wasn't. I have to be. I have to know I'm watching Cannibal Holocaust before <laughs> I watch Cannibal Holocaust. I don't like to be surprised yeah. with Cannibal Holocaust. That's a great way to put it. I mean, yeah, and and that's you know, and for me, I've realized like with all of the horror movies that we have watched for this podcast, which by the way, at the time of recording, is now 536. Um, you know, I used to think that, like, God, doing this podcast, I wonder if I'm just going to become so desensitized and, you know, nothing's really going to bother me anymore. I think it's been the opposite. Like, I've really figured out which shit is hard for me to watch in horror. Um, which, by the way, uh, Quincy, you are in a fellowship with Gene Siskel, who had a similar thing with, like, he would instantly knock a point off of a movie if it put children in peril. Because... To, you know, to Gene Siskel, he was like, that's a cheap way of upsetting the audience. It's a cheap way of raising the tension. I don't want to see that when I go and see a movie, which, like, I don't I don't know that, you know, the answer is never put children in peril in a movie, but I totally agree. We're like, I wasn't expecting to see these kids get fucking chopped up with an axe. Yeah, by no means am I asking for CGI walkie-talkies to replace shotguns, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm also not really in the mood to sit down. You know, it reminds me a lot of uh, the SummerSlam match where Brock Lesnar fights um, uh, Randy Orton and busts oh, yeah. his head open, and that's how SummerSlam ends in this like weird, grotesque, hyper-violent display mm-hmm. when you're expecting like a, a wholesome PG era. <laughs> match <laughs> that's a great reference yeah like just be, like, watching brock lesnar bust randy orton open hard way and just like all right well uh thanks for coming out folks remember to validate your parking like it's and i think for me also like tense family stuff like i've realized that one of the tropes that tends to trigger me when i watch a thing is there's something wrong with mom or there's something wrong with dad and there being a claustrophobic environment. And I think this is just because of, you know, the way I grew up. But, like, yeah, like, him yelling at those kids and then eventually uh, pulling a Jack Torrance and tr- axing down the door to kill these kids. Like, I was kind of white-knuckling it through that scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and Margot Kidder's character says, like, don't hurt my babies and... It's, and that's, it's a lot. And that's the thing that snaps him out of it is that, you know, and she looks rough during the scene. Like, I, I do appreciate that 
you know, the couple at the end of this thing where they're both, like, crying on each other because they just got to get out of this fucking house and he was about to kill those kids. Uh, you know, and, and that's the thing that makes him go, like, oh, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? The walls start bleeding. Um, one of the kids has an imaginary friend named Jody that you find out, I think, was, like, one of the kids that got murdered, maybe? Yeah, that's that's the heavy implication. You know what? Your kid says, Jody's my friend, and she comes to play with me. You you send that kid to boarding school until you get this <laughs> shit figured out. You move to a nice duplex somewhere where there's no fucking Jody, and you bring that kid back. Like, you really... It's all asses and elbows. Jody uh, turns out to be a scary pig with glowing red eyes, uh, who's doing all manner of, of, of uh, haintery. The walls start bleeding in a pretty dope-looking effect. Yeah, it, it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, I feel like that's that's kind of the... I mean, it's you know not exactly the elevator blood from The Shining, but it, it's, pretty, it's pretty fucking cool. Um, they get out of the house, and then in kind of a save-the-cat moment, I guess... They're about to drive away, and then the kids are like, no, but Harry the dog is still in there. And George ventures back into the house, um, which, by the way, they do find a literal, actual portal to hell in the basement. Yeah, because George falls into it and comes out covered in, like, demon goop. Yeah, and and it's just it looks like tar, just like black hell goop. And he, you know, he went went in there to save Harry the dog. Harry the dog, who is a very good boy, uh, helps haul George's gross ass up out of this hole. They get in the car and then presumably move to Newark or wherever. I love that uh, George smashes the window and just picks up Harry the dog and puts <laughs> him out the window. Because there's something about a dog's posture when you pick them up. They're like, my body was never meant to be... <laughs> vertical so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like hold my head down and look very embarrassed and awkward (laughs) yeah dogs being picked up it's always very like because a cat you pick up a cat and they're like yes this is the ideal state of being yeah dogs always just look like their legs are hanging down and their heads are like why is this happening and then yeah they're having a weird time but so you know the family gets away Uh, i'm actually astounded that this movie had a but uh, outside of the initial kill uh, of like the family being annihilated in 1974, nobody dies. Yeah, it's uh, it's refreshing. So I think it's impossible to put this on our list without talking about Poltergeist. Oh, that's a fact. Uh, Poltergeist, which is uh, sorry, let me get number that down. 33. Oh, there we go. Okay, so number 33, Poltergeist from 1982. Cannot believe this movie is three years before Poltergeist. You can feel it. Like, we've got bell bottoms in the mix. We've got the hair. It's just a lot. Um, So, obviously, this movie is well below Poltergeist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Poltergeist kind of took what um, the vibe and kind of refined it. Yeah, totally agree. Um, scrolling down the list a little bit, uh, I think at number 97, if we're going with movies that are like 80% vibe, at number 97 we have Phantasm, uh, the original Phantasm. Which do we think is a better movie? Phantasm, a movie that has basically no plot, but it's like a really spooky shoebox diorama with a bitch and soundtrack? Or the Amityville Horror, which is like an actual movie that maybe doesn't isn't as charming as Phantasm. You know, Phantasm's got balls. I, I gotta give it to Phantasm. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Friday Night Test, I would rather watch the fun nonsense of Phantasm over James Brolin being mean to Margot Kidder for two hours. Yeah, it's, it's a tough sell. Yeah. So, a little bit further down the list, we have um, uh, 1977's Orca. Ooh, Orca, which is technically a Jaws ripoff, but I think the best Jaws ripoff? The best Jaws ripoff, yes. Oh, it's Because just it's about revenge, and it actually dissects. It's Jaws the revenge, but <laughs> better. It's like <laughs> Because Jaws it the actually, like, it's the, it's the Shakespeare <laughs> of, of evil killer <laughs> uh, shark or nautical creature movies. It's yeah, it's like if Jaws the Hamlet the Re- of Jaws. 
I won't kill the sea captain at prayer. I'll wait until he's killing another wit. Honestly, uh, Orca is like if Jaws the Revenge were a movie, and it's really nice. Um, <laughs> that God, that movie's fucking fantastic. I do think that, you know, even though I love Orca's theme of, like, revenge and how, you know, dig two graves sort of a thing, dig two, dig two graves at sea? Um... <laughs> Right above Orca is Ichi the Killer, uh, directed by uh, Takashi Miike. I feel like, I feel confident saying a thing. I'm going to say a thing and see if it's true, okay? Um, Orca from 1977 is a lot of fun, but I feel like I can't think of any standout performances from Orca in the way that the chemistry between Margot Kidder and James Brolin is enough that the nonsense plot of Amityville Horror... For me, I was genuinely on the edge of my seat because I really wanted this couple to be okay. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. But it's not as good as Ichi the Killer. Yeah, Ichi the Killer, I think, has a clarity of purpose in the way that uh, Amityville Horror kind of doesn't, where it's just like... I mean, first of all, it has the pre-existing source material that Takashi Miike got to dig into and be like, all right, what do I want actually want to put on screen? But I will say, you know, I might be biased, but... The first time I saw Ichi the Killer in a room full of people was such a singular experience of everybody going, oh my god, during like 90% of that movie. Um, I feel like also the way that it's shot is, I mean, Takashi Miki is a fucking great director and I feel like that movie, it's not a perfect movie, but it's not not a perfect movie for what it is. Yeah, and who directed Amityville Horror? Uh, that's a great question. It was directed by Stuart Rosenberg. Case in point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, who, who, by the way, no slouch, also directed Cool Hand Luke, Voyage of the Damned and the Pope Pope of Greenwich Village. But I, you know, Cool Hand Luke is great, but Takashi Miike, I mean, listen, Takashi Miike has directed over a hundred movies. I... Not that it's a race. Not that it's a race. But if it were, Takashi Miike would win. Um, Yeah, so I feel... Yeah, he is. So I feel... I I would feel good about putting it at our new number 113, uh, above Orca and below Ichi the Killer. Um, So Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Listeners can find us at our podcast network's website, FaustianNonsense.com. There they'll find a link to the episode feed, our um, social medias, and our Discord community. Hell yeah, the Discord is always fun, always popping. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. We would appreciate it enormously. Um, if there's a movie that you are dying for us to talk about, or let's say that you're an independent filmmaker, we love independent filmmakers uh, like the ones who made the Amityville Horror. Uh, if you've got a movie that you know, you're know you dying to get eyes on and you want someone to review it, uh, consider hitting us up. Uh, you know, Send us a screener, send us your material. Um, we love being part of the horror community. You guys are the greatest. Um, yeah, we're just about everybody you uh, could want to find podcasts. Yeah, um, and the got... email is rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Hell yeah, we would love to hear from you. Um, also check out our Patreon. We're going to have a bunch of new stuff coming up. Um, it's, yeah, uh, get at it. Um, but barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>